Hey Carl, I'm a videographer. I shoot movies on everything from deforestation in the Amazon to traditional land ownership in Papua New Guinea. I'm looking to connect with anyone working in the world of conservation of species or ecosystems or who work with communities in these areas. If you think that a film could help your cause, please get in touch at Hedges Laurie on Instagram. Hi, my name's Jamie Mitchell. I'm actually just racing to the airport to go to one of Kyle's favourite places, Chile. But I don't know what I enjoy more, listening to Kyle's podcast or seeing him eat shit at Mavericks. But either way, they both put a smile on my face. <laughs> Those are messages from a couple of our listeners. If you have a public service announcement, if you have a funny little message that you want played at the beginning of my show, if you're tuning in from an especially radical spot... Record a little message uh, and send it to me. You can do that using voice memos and then email it to me. My email is kyle at kyle.surf. Email is the only way that you'll be getting in touch with me over the next few weeks because the other morning I went down to the beach for a run, swim, run. And when I came back, my car window was smashed my phone was gone, my wallet was gone, and my passport was gone. Why did you have your phone, wallet, and passport in your car, you might ask? Normally, I don't, but uh, I was taking off to go to Puerto Escondido the following day, so I had it all in there, and it all, poof, disappeared with one broken window. So I went straight down to the federal building and I stood in lines for about six hours just waiting. And luckily I was able to get a passport expedited and I'm recording this from Puerto. Word to the wise, take a photo of your passport, take a photo of your driver's license and store it on Google Documents or uh, Dropbox or one of those um, one of those spots, so that if it gets stolen, you have that information. Luckily, I had a photo of my passport, um, and if I didn't have that, I wouldn't have been able to get a new one expedited. Also, one thing I didn't do that I'm going to now is have some extra cash stored at your house and maybe even a um, an emergency credit card because all of my money was gone, so I had no way to like get anything which it's amazing how uh when both forms of your idea and your money is gone there's no way for you to prove that you're you so no phone for the next three weeks i'm down here in mexico surfing and on a writing assignment tomorrow i take off down to chile on another writing assignment and i'm sure i'll be doing some podcasts as well before we get going, I want to thank the guys over at Core Surf for supporting this episode of the podcast. They listened to the show. They reached out to me. They told me that they make beautiful bamboo surf racks, and they sent me some. I really liked them. They helped organize my quiver, and uh, they're going to give you 30% off if you want to buy some stuff using the code name KYLE30. So if you need some bamboo surf racks, if you need a good Christmas present for friends or family, head over to coresurf.com. That's C-O-R-Surf.com, not C-O-R-E.com. I had someone the other day reach out and be like, dude, I tried to get there and it wasn't. So C-O-R-Surf.com. They make great products. Stock up for the winter. 
This episode of the podcast is with two-time big wave surfing world champion Greg Long and up-and-coming surf photographer Ari Frapwell. Ari is a classic kid. He sells photos to Surfline. He sells photos to Surfer Magazine. And he is going places. So here is Greg, Ari, and me talking. Whoa, wait. And real quick, here's Ari's Schmeagel impression because he didn't do it on the podcast. I didn't steal your ring. Liar! You stole it! Give it back! Give it back! Kyle Cameron here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. It's not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. <laughs> Standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. Like I, when I was talking to uh, Mick Fanning on the the podcast, he said that after every workout he would do, he would picture himself surfing a wave at the next event exactly like he wanted to surf it. And he said he would drop into the wave at Shopu and he would feel the concave of the wave and he would feel himself slow down and get spit out of the barrel. And then he said that when he would go to the competitions, he felt like time would slow down in the barrel and he could and he could be making these micro adjustments in ways that he wasn't able to do because, beforehand. Because he had already been there. Yeah, well because he yes. started seeing this uh this psychologist, this sports psychologist. He was telling me that he uh felt like he was surfing better than ever, but then um, he wasn't getting the results that he wanted. So he saw this sports psychologist, and they did uh, visualization work, and he like kind of attributed that to winning his world titles. Mm-hmm. It's impressive I shit. Mean, when, when you think about it, it's if you can't be there physically all the time you know, pertaining to surfing, uh, what's the next best thing to prepare yourself? You know, you're there mentally. And by going over, you know, in repetition, all the scenarios that you could possibly be in and how you think that you could, you know, should best react to that, you know, eventually you know you're going to come into a similar circumstance, you know, if you're going to be surfing a competition there or a certain wave. And having already been there, it becomes this intuitive, you know, reaction versus, okay, now I have to analyze what's going on that, you know, all right, in somewhere, you know, in your subconscious and just, you know, the muscle memory, you already know how to react. And it comes out, you know, instantaneously versus that, you know, fraction of a second that it takes to process what's happening. Well, your body doesn't know when it's the real thing and when you're preparing for it. Mm -hmm. It's just like like watching a scary movie. All of a sudden you get sweaty palms and and you're getting afraid and your cortisol levels are going through the roof. It's because your body thinks that uh, it's going through the real situation, right? And that's like the, that's the big problem with, with a lot of situations that we get into, like road rage, for example, right? Like we were programmed to have that fight flight, freeze, or fuck uh, t- uh, response, right? And when... Uh, <laughs> there's a spider on you. Um, and uh, when we get into these situations in, in modern life, um, our bodies don't know the difference between the tiger that was chasing us a few thousand years ago and the guy who just cut us off on the road and flipped us off. So we have the same chemical response to 
uh, perceived danger as real danger. Interesting. It is interesting. What do you think about that, Ari Frappo? Well, first, do you like scary movies, Ari? No, not at all. I'm not a fan either. Do your Schmeagol voice. He's got to get ready for it. He's got to prep, prep the pipes. No, he's, you can't put him on the spot. No, you can't. A later question, a later question you're just going to surprise out. us with uh, yeah. the best ever Schmeagol impersonation I think I've ever heard. It'll come out of nowhere. I know. You, you did it at dinner the other night. I was like, what the fuck Yeah, exactly, that? exactly. Like, you, you just got to wait for the time. Mm-hmm. Schmeagol's not always there. He's got to come out of the cave. Exactly. Do you do that, like, at, at school? Like, Come the, out of the cave? Yeah, come out of the cave. Well, no, you do homeschool now, so it doesn't yeah. come out of the cave. Mm-mm. No, ca- no caves. When did you start doing homeschool? Homeschool was beginning of 10th grade. Or my, yeah, my 10th grade. And was that to pursue photography? Exactly. Yeah. It's photography, travel. Yeah. yeah you're Basically more free time. Man on a mission. You, wanna, you know what you want to do. Yeah. Hopefully I get there. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. I'd say you're well on your way and already there given the fact that you just turned 16 thank you yeah well and swimming out at eight foot puerto escondido and <laughs> getting amazing water shots of uh proportions you can only compare to you know some of the better <laughs> water <laughs> photographers uh I, you, got, here before. you got rocked on a couple yesterday man that was impressive to see thank you well, yeah i figured it it only helps you in the end as long as you make it back up. As long as you make it back up. Yeah. Yeah. And you're doing training and you're like, the thing that I like about you is you're taking the necessary steps to become a really good photographer. Mm-hmm. You're not just talking about it and thinking mm-hmm. about it. You are actually doing it. Yeah. Which is cool to see. Not everyone does that. A lot of people just talk about like their goals mm-hmm. and the more they talk about it, the closer they feel to achieving their goal without yeah, totally. actually doing any of the real preparation. Yeah. Do you know that he just voluntarily goes to different photographers' houses and acts as their personal assistant and intern and organizing their photos and whatever Todd is menial blazer. tasks that they have and don't want to do. Right. He just shows up on their doorstep and says, hey, hot stone. What, what type of Excel spreadsheets do you yeah. need help with today? <laughs> hot yeah. stone. How's that for ambitious? Hot stone massages, anything they like. Yeah. Um, so Todd Glazer, he's one of the best photogra- surf photographers in the world. Mm-hmm. Really is, yeah. Mostly his artistic side along with just everything else he shoots. But um, when he first started out in photography, um, he lived in La Jolla as well. My dad actually taught him a few things when he was first starting and kind of showed him some stuff, some cameras, et cetera. Your dad did? So your dad was a photographer too? Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, my dad apprenticed with Ansel Adams Whoa. in Yosemite for about a year when he used to live there. And, um, but yeah, so now like Todd is kind of like helping return the favor in a way mm-hmm. almost and just helping me out. Like just now I just sent him a couple photos asking him like what, what I should be working on just now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The water shots from yesterday. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Todd will probably get back to me and let me know what I need to do different or like what, what it, I did get on. Yeah. Like what does that conversation sound like? Um, usually I'll just send him a message. We keep in touch pretty often um but i'll probably just send him a message saying what up ask him how he's doing and then um send him i sent him like four images just asking him what i could do better on photography wise and what i can just in general about the photos that i sent him and todd will give me a very 
helpful could answer. you have con- composed the composition mm-hmm. better totally. or you know what settings would he have chosen given the light and exactly the, those yeah. types of questions yeah that's radical man yeah people like giving advice if you're willing to follow it mm-hmm. totally i find that like if if you like let's say todd glazer was giving you advice and then you weren't following it again and again he would probably not not want to give you advice yeah, yeah. but it's very gratifying to have a skill and then want to give someone else that skill mm-hmm. and unfortunately a lot of people don't do what you what you're doing right now which is to ask for help yeah right like they think that they're being a nuisance to anyone who uh has a skill that they want to get better at mm-hmm but it makes us feel important, you know, or like it makes it like if we have something that we can give someone else, it's uh, a gratifying life experience. Totally. You know, like giving is the most selfish thing that we can do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like the saying, I'll probably bastardize it, but, you know, knowledge and wisdom is only useful unless it's uh, if it's shared with others. You know, otherwise, what's the point of learning anything if you're just going to keep it for your, yourself? You know, that's where it lives and dies. That's, you know, that's not the point. Yeah. You know, it's to enjoy all of that and you know, what it brings into your life and then give it away to the next person to... Uh, right, but isn't it weird how how uh, we don't really adopt that as a culture right now? Like, we live in this very indivi- individualistic society yes. where we we value personal gain over common good. And that's where I feel like, you know, a broad generalization because there are many exceptions to that rule, but yeah in the grand scheme of it, you know, it is all about me and how and where I can benefit and get ahead in life and, you know, leave the others you know, behind. But, um, he who dies with the most toys wins. <laughs> it's freaking weird though. Like you, you have to start questioning it at a certain point because you see so many wealthy people who are de- unhappy, unhappy. Yeah. Right. So like, I feel like if you question like if there's that rate of failure in any system, it's worth questioning. Absolutely, and I think people people are waking up to that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as like I mean, you look at the outdoor industry; it's booming. People all people are recognizing that experience and group experience um, is way more valuable than than just having stuff, right? Like, it's way, it's way more gratifying to find something you suck at and get good at it rather than just get something that you haven't earned. Yeah. You know? I feel like I'm just uh, coming out of my own personal shell of, you know, the surfing world and starting to really delve into, you know, different hobbies, you know, with that freedom of, you know, I don't care if I'm an absolute beginner at it again, you know, I'm, you know, I was always really interested in this and, you know, I'm, I'm going to pursue it, you know, just to have, you know, that, that experience and that joy and, and especially meeting a new community, you know, that goes beyond the sort of sphere of existence that, you know, I was in before. And with that, you know, new, you know, insight, new viewpoints on, on life. And, you know, that's. Fuck yeah, dude. Because if you're an expert at your craft and you're only surrounding yourself with people who are in your world, it's very difficult to not think that you're better than other people. When everyone is telling you that you're the shit again and again and again, it's very difficult not to begin to believe it. And I think that the people who 
attain success and don't become weird are the ones who have a, a healthy relationship with learning. Yeah. Hmm. And a, a greater sense of contentment and, and happiness, really. Because you know, otherwise, if you're at that you know, top level, your world exists around maintaining that. And as soon as you know, somebody else comes up with uh, you know, a better move or a trick, you know, all of a sudden you know, you're eclipsed and then you, know, you fall from, from the top. And, yeah. You, know, you see it a lot in the surfing world, I feel like, and, and really you know, a lot of different sporting uh, uh, pursuits. Fuck yeah. Well, when you... When you let your self-worth be externally located... And defined. You're in, you're tr- in trouble. You're in trouble. <laughs> you're in trouble. As soon as that happens, as soon as you feel like if you, you, you just need to get there and then you'll be happy, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you start walking on a tightrope and any little you know, breeze could, uh, could blow you off. Yeah. But um, so like, what are you doing right now? To, what am I? Yeah, like in, to to enter into other worlds. Uh, well, still surfing big waves. Very passionate about that. Have a ton of fun doing it, but with zero pressure or stress on you know having to perform at any level other than going out and enjoying myself. That that is my benchmark for success. That's it. It's where it starts and it stops. Uh, which is very easy when you approach it with, you know, a very clear mindset of, you know, you're here to enjoy yourself. You know, don't let any of the other peripheral nonsense that comes with, uh, you know, competitions or um, expectations get in the way. You know, every day I'm having you know, the best time and learning more. Still, I feel and improving in, in my surfing, but. Um, Going beyond that, it's given me a lot more time to sort of delve into uh, the environmental conservation world. Been spending a lot of time with uh, an organization called Parlay for the Oceans, whose primary focus is on uh, confronting the ocean plastic pollution epidemic that exists in nearly every you know ocean and body of water in the world, and trying to show businesses that it can be financially viable to start utilizing these ocean plastics that are being collected and repurposed uh, within the production of whatever it is that they're they're making whether it's clothing or you know shoes uh, you know or even just another you know plastic product uh, so learning a lot about you know one you know kind of the policy you know involved in creating change within communities, you know, what needs to happen on a legislative level, uh, on up to then looking at the business side and, you know, stepping foot and been to a couple of, you know, meetings where I have no place, you know, with my surfing background yet, I have a story to tell and kind of, you know, life experience, but listening to, uh, you know, that side of, of life and, you know, and what drives these giant economic, you know, companies and machines, and how you know it can all synergistically work together to um, you know both one help relieve this problem, educate others, and facilitate permanent change on the back end to keep uh, these companies from creating new virgin plastics mm-hmm. when there is you know a supply that exists here 
on the planet and in our ocean especially you know to last us indefinitely if we wisen up to it so uh that's been the last you know year of really learning uh with this organization parlay for the oceans and um recently uh was welcomed into the uh patagonia family as well i had no idea (laughs) i know right (laughs) uh and working on sort of the environmental and surf activism front there so I think that we are living in a very exciting time where the externalized costs of production, which have been externalized for the last couple hundred years, um, where I make something, I sell it to you, and then the ocean, forest, jungle, mountaintop pays the price. That system isn't really working anymore. Because uh, it's just kind of in our face now. You know, like when we look at plastic pollution, you go to any beach now and it's an issue. Like most beaches, especially in other countries, it's an issue that we can see. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that is, it's a very cool paradigm that I have seen and have been keeping score on for the last couple of years, and I'm seeing it start to happen more and more. Parlay for the Oceans, working with Adidas to do an ocean plastic shoe, working with Corona, right? Is it? Yeah. Working with Corona mm-hmm. to do uh, plastic pollution. What do they do with Corona? Uh, so Corona is basically a, uh, looking to, uh, well, one a program they're doing is they're going to be protecting 100 different islands uh, around the world. With that comes, you know, at the base level and education within the you know, local community as to, you know, why everybody should be, you know, taking better care of the ocean, uh, how they can, but then supplying, uh, providing them the infrastructure to actually, you know, do something. And the collection of, uh, you know, setting up these sort of ocean cleanup programs, you know, this plastic goes back into a global supply chain, which then, you know, can end up, you know, any number of places. There's just an uh, incredible number of uses for, you know, the plastic that yeah. exists. You know, it never goes anywhere. Um, and then within their own business, I know, looking at their different festivals um, and, you know, uh, events, you know, how they can minimize their, you know, plastic consumption and I think eventually um, get to a point where they aren't, you know, utilizing anymore. Or if they do, it is from, you know, collected and part of kind of the whole overall cleanup program. Festivals are a big one. Yeah, when you look at oh, how many little red cups or, Ooh. yeah. They add up, they add up. Mm-hmm. I, um, I had the chance to interview Jack Johnson a number of years ago, and he said that there was a point where he was doing his concert tours, and then all the people would leave, and he'd walk back out on stage, and it would just be an endless sea, sea of, of, plastic. of red cups. And you're actually related to Jack, right, Ari? Mm-hmm. Yeah, his wife, Kim, is uh, my mom's cousin. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very cool. But um, you got that Hawaii in. Yeah, a little slip, bit of that. Slip yeah. right into the pipeline. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, back to the uh, the whole cups and plastics. Um, I remember recently, now my uncle does, he gives out aluminum cups that have, uh, he does all of his concerts now are plastic free talks to all the vendors and everything now this and, jack mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um now he has all these he prints out aluminum cups with a, his whole album cover on it and gives it to every they have the when they when you scan your ticket in the entrance 
the vendors will hand you a cup a cup to use yeah and, mm-hmm. like reuse through the yeah totally and it's not like no, anybody's gonna throw in a whole a whole aluminum cup away but um but yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard that um it's either f- I don't know if it was a tour in the past or, mm-hmm. you know, it's a percentage of, you know, his album sales actually goes to a few different environmental nonprofit organizations. Do you know? I'm not too familiar with that, but I remember one, it was either a show. I'm not really, not too sure, but I know that all of his earnings from maybe it was a show or a whole tour went when Haiti was in that whole, I think that was what you Haiti, er, Haiti earthquake. Yeah. yeah, he donated all of his money from the whole tour or show, one of those, straight to Haiti. I remember he, well, he's super into the whole environmental, and look, helping out the community. He's famous and he's not weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's giving it away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Everyone else who's yeah. that famous is such a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably the only way yeah. he's been able to stay normal. Keep sanity, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the cool thing about what Jack does is that when he goes to a venue and uh, ensures that it's plastic-free, a lot of those venues will adopt that policy for future bands that come through. Because So I have a friend who works uh, on backstages at, at big uh, concerts. I forget what it's called. It's like they're... they're I'm not, I'm going to butcher it, but it's basically like the requirements for every artist to go in. Like... I'm Lady Gaga and I want a huge bowl of yellow M&Ms when I get into my dressing room. Or like I'm Justin Bieber and I want a thousand Coronas as soon as I enter. You know, and they, there's like wild stories of very specific requests that artists will ask for. And if it's easy for the venue, they'll just keep it going. Yeah. So not only is Jack having an effect on his concerts, but setting a precedent, he's setting a precedent. example for others. Yeah. Oh, totally, man. Yeah, it's... Uh, that, I mean, that's an example of the actions that we take and a, the butterfly effect that we might not be aware of on everyone else. Absolutely. Yeah. But um, in back to what you are speaking of earlier, uh, want to touch on the idea of the connectivity which exists within humanity now that never has before is allowing people to see, you know, you said, you know, the consequences... Um, of doing business in a lot of ways, you know, are showing up in places that we never knew before, you know, whether it's, you know, affecting our oceans or uh, rainforests, you know, and it's all coming to light now due to kind of modern day technology and that, you know, nothing, you know, can be, you can't turn a blind eye. You know, if you try to, you're going to see it somewhere else, you know, sooner rather than later, you know, through social networks and just the, uh, um, yeah. It allows change to happen at a very accelerated pace. Mm-hmm. More look, so than ever before. More so than ever before. If you look at an issue like gay rights, that turned a corner within a couple of years where all of a sudden that conversation was at most people's dinner tables and they were confronted with that issue very quickly around the world and it changed. I mean, and, and, and usually government then lags behind a few years. Like you look at an issue like, like weed or something like that. Like, not that many people anymore think that weed should be illegal, and still there are states that have it illegal. Like the benefits of that 
are known and they're seen, but it lags behind and then it changes. You know, it's like first they, what's the saying? First they ignore you, uh, then they fight you, then they say they were with you all along. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I like seeing, like, didn't, you were telling me about that documentary, How to Change the World. Was that you? Um, it's like a... That, that was the one about Captain Paul Watson. Yeah. Yes. Amazing good. one. Highly recommended uh, to anybody. So who is Captain Paul Watson? He was the founder of Sea Shepherd and one of the first uh, individuals to actually start uh, the Greenpeace organization. And he eventually, you know, won't spoil the documentary, but branched off and started uh, his own. And, uh, you know, to this day, probably you know, one of, if not the uh, leading advocates for ocean conservation you know around the globe but yeah highly recommended yeah i want to check that one out but yeah you think of we're close to the same age you know, i'm 34 you're 27 seven uh i remember when i was a kid like you know recycling was something that was just sort of you know it was new like although we all of a sudden have a blue can and all of your plastic and you know paper you know recyclables go over there but didn't really understand why and there was no sort of true knowledge or education you know that was at the forefront of you know why should you actually be doing this and what are the consequences of of not but Ari you're 16 Mm-hmm. You know, and the thought of you know, recycling or avoiding plastics or, you know, bringing your you know, stainless steel reusable bottle wherever you go. Like, that is standard now, isn't it? For totally. Um, well, yeah, now I feel like when you were a kid, your the level of education on recycling, as you said, like, you didn't know the thing about it. But for me, like, st- I'm still growing up, but when I was smaller... So are we, dude. Yeah, everybody <laughs> is. Everybody is. This is the thing you learn when you're growing up. But, it's but, like, yeah, but quote, no one is really grown up. <laughs> quote, quote, unquote, when I was smaller, You're like, Grandma, getting, you, st- you still don't have it figured out either. <laughs> but yeah, no, like growing up, I learned, it surrounded me in school, I remember, all the way from kindergarten, it was always, they would always um, teach us about recycling and what it does, but... um I feel like just as we go on now, more people are learning about um, what it does to the environment when you do recycle, as well as what happens when you don't recycle. And mm-hmm. as you the impacts saying, that you can yeah. have, you know, making one decision versus mm-hmm. another. Totally, and yeah, that's something that I always try to do. Like every time I go surf or I'm walking down to the beach, I'll at least try to pick up one piece of trash in and out of the water. Yeah, just, just one to try. That's well, weak. at least, at least, at <laughs> that's, least. That's if I just see one, yeah. It's pretty I'm weak, gonna, gonna bro. Just one piece. <laughs> it makes got, a difference. I've got, I've got a game for you. Huh. Every piece that you see, mm-hmm. it's yours. Pick it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't well, ignore it. Mm-hmm. If you acknowledge its existence, it's okay. yours. Okay. Well, so. I'll take you up on that. <laughs> that action, right, actually touches on a deeper kind of philosophical way to live life, which is like self-ownership, right? Which is like, as we grow up, at least for me, like I, what I derive most pleasure in now is figuring out ways to own myself better, right? Whether that's figuring out how to 
pack for a trip better. Like when I pack for a trip, like a goddamn ninja now, because I've gone on a lot of trips. I was impressed coming down here. You had a tiny duffel, a backpack, and a very sleek looking board bag. Yep. And, uh, and it's got podcasting equipment in there. Yeah, I know, I know. But it's like it's this very cool feeling of owning what you do. Right, and that tie, then that can draw all the way out into owning what you say and taking action for what you do, and and also taking action for what you use. Right, like what is, what is your legacy going to be on planet Earth? Right, a lot of that is how you affected other people, that how people are going to remember you, and what you used. Like part of your legacy is the shit that that you use. You consumed in you order consumed. to get to whatever place you were. Totally aspiring to and the, reach and the skills that you are able to attain through that process. Um, like, f- for example, like I um, when I took a CPR course, um, like a life saving course, it was an immensely gratifying experience for me because all of a sudden I I owned myself a little bit more in a new experience, right? And I and I was a little bit less inept walking around on planet Earth. And I think that the more that we can involve ourselves in that kind of stuff, in, in those activities, the more skills that we can gain, the happier we're going to be. You know what I mean by that? Was that, did I, that, I just connected could, a lot could, together. No, could, could, couldn't agree yeah. more. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that most, well, a lot of people are walking around sort of in, in a bit of a daze, you know, when it comes to acknowledging, you know, the impact and, uh, you know, the repercussions of of their actions. And if people were to slow down for a second and really acknowledge it, it creates a better connection with whatever activity it is that they're doing or, you know, personal relationship. And you experience it on a deeper, more meaningful level, which ultimately in life, I feel like leads to, um, you know, a greater, you know, quicker, you know, evolution or uh, enhanced experience, and that's what uh, I, I feel like we're we're here for. Isn't that funny? How slowing down, what you just said, slowing down, can quicken our evolution. I always thought just going faster was better. <laughs> pedal to the me- <laughs> pedal to the metal until the road runs out. Yeah, right. But like, I mean, f- for example. Um, like going back to like CPR, right? Going back to like a life-threatening situation, slowing down is what you need to do a lot of the time. Like taking a couple breaths, not panicking, and that is what will allow for the the best result. Most efficient, you know, and more often than not, positive result that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Do you know CPR? Ari? I do. You do? I you did. Just, a, I did the first aid class before. Yeah, you just did. You just did a little stint over on Tavaru as a boatman, right? Yeah. So I had to learn how to do it. Are you the youngest boatman ever? Um, well, I was there training for the first two weeks. I don't want to say I was a full boatman, but I did for my last week take um, take all a couple boats out by myself for that extended week that I stayed there. So, yes and no. So they, but they uh, made you learn CPR. What else? Mm-hmm. Before I went, um, Roseman had just suggested that I take a CPR class. Okay. Like a basic first responder, mm-hmm. first CPR, aid. AED, um, yeah, first aid response uh, through, what was that, Red Cross. Okay. And then, um, yeah, once we got there, probably like two weeks in, the doctor there, they always rotate doctors each week, or maybe it's like every three weeks. 
and um, we went through. Pro- we sat down and like for, through two days, probably sat down for like four hours total, and we went through CPR, um, just basic, like um, just all first aid. Mm-hmm. Showed us all the splints, how to use the AED, um, tourniquets, what to do if you don't have any. Um, use a leash, for yeah. example. Mm-hmm. And showed us how to do that. Um, I just thought you just sucked the blood out. Yeah. <laughs> you know what amazes me? Is that that is some of the most important life skills to have that you can and most likely at some point in your life come into a situation where you have the ability to save another's life. Mm-hmm. And that's not taught in school. in school yeah it's like oh in maybe school. i'll maybe i'll get around to it someday like You're the right. amount of people that probably have it on their to-do list and have had it on their to-do list for the last couple of years it, it, right. it's i mean what you're gonna you know learn the quadratic formula before you know how to give <laughs> chest compressions and, and breaths you know to save somebody who's in cardiac arrest like all right you know it just doesn't, you know. Okay. It, so break it down for people. Someone's driving along the highway right the now. The quadratic formula? No, no yeah, exactly. plus, plus, plus or minus the square root of B squared is. minus 2AC all over 2A? Is that, is that right? Shut I don't know. No? Shut up, Greg. You know I don't <laughs> speak Spanish. <laughs> That's the one thing I still remember from algebra. I hope I got it right. Algebra. Eight six seven five three zero oh, nine. Um. All right, so someone's driving along on the highway right now. They're listening to this. Yeah. What What would you say are the main mistakes that people make when they rock up on a victim? Panic. Panic. Yeah. Like, just don't. Absolute, you know, chaos. Um, Slow down. Yeah. And... Th- that that would be it, you know. That you can't achieve a whole lot if you don't have a, a clear head, um, you know. So if that's you or somebody else, you know, needs to take control of the situation and sort of you know, be leading, you know, the next step of of what you're gonna uh, follow through with. Yeah. So I hope you don't mind me bringing this up, but mm-hmm. yesterday there was a bodyboarder out at Puerto who drowned. Or was having a real hard time on the yeah, beach. Yeah, almost did. Yeah, almost did. Uh, and you paddled in and you flipped him over onto his side. Correct. Why'd you do that? Uh, it's the recovery position. So I came on to the scene late. That I was in the lineup, saw commotion on the beach, a bunch of people running towards somebody. Which you know, out here you can only suspect that you know somebody's had a significant injury or you know. Yeah, found possibly, Willy, possibly. found Willy Wonka's golden ticket. You and, know, um, one of the two. So when I rocked up, he was um, on his back, and uh, he was conscious. He was breathing. He was responsive. Um, and they had actually already initiated uh, rolling him onto his side. You know, prior to that, you would ideally be checking for any sort of spinal injuries but he again was coherent said that he was fine and i think walked up the beach under his own um power you know with some assistance but that's the recovery position you know that if he had you know swallowed any water uh you know that would be the way that it could easily be um purged or expelled you know if you're on your back you're just going to be sort of breathing it back in and um you know easiest most clear open airway that that you can have at that point sure uh, but yeah, he had just 
taken, I think, half a dozen waves on the head and was really winded and stuck in the sort of inshore current and had somebody help him get to the shore. And, uh, you know, he was definitely dazed and confused, but... He was all right. It was, yeah, it was a really just a bad... Bad, bad white beating. Yeah. yeah. Do you travel with any uh, medical gear? I do. What do you travel with? Uh, do you want to see it? I can go downstairs and get it. No, just <laughs> I mean, just tell I, me. I have a very neat, it's like a twelve-inch by eight, <laughs> twelve-inch by eight-inch um, wa- 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 waterproof bag. I was yeah, so say, completely sealable. Okay. Um, and I have got. A lot of um, hemostatic gauze, which is great for uh, any significant bleeding. Uh, I don't want to kind of put this out there, but, you know, shark, you know, bites potentially sure. that, you know, could uh, associate with that. Uh, very top uh, tourniquet of all the um, uh, sutures, uh, staple gun for any sort of, uh, you know, big lacerations basic cleaning wound cleaning uh materials do you know how to uh stitch someone up yeah really yeah have you ever done it uh a couple orange peels banana peels <laughs> sketch <laughs> I, I i learned on youtube oh uh, yeah i, yeah. I learned Irony. everything on youtube mm-hmm. learned how to dance on youtube yeah, I, i've you got just, i've got a dance um uh, a couple of sam splints you know for any you know, broken ankle broken wrist but uh if i'm going on a big wave trip um have the full you know o2 resuscitation you know, kit ready to go there backboard sea collar all that that comes with um you know at this point we've seen enough to you know to know what you need to know what you need right and to not have it you know at this point in the game is just silly uh, it's just negligent and uh, you don't wish to ever have to use it, but I've also seen enough and know enough, you know, that if you're out there, you know, eventually something's going to go wrong and, you know, you need to have it there. You know, if something truly goes wrong, you know, have it. Yeah. Yes. It will increase, you know, the chances of, you know, your friend, you know, living or dying or getting them safely to, you know, the hospital or wherever they need to in order to you know, get appropriate medical attention. Yeah. Radical self-ownership. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had any situations that you've walked up on, Ari, where you're like, oh, dear, I wish I... Mm, like the... Like someone's unconscious? I don't know. Any what, what's, what's, what's the craziest thing you've seen? I mean, you're 16 years old, and I know you've been traveling down to Baja and around the world since, you know, you were probably five or six. The craziest thing I've seen... Cat got caught in a tree, couldn't get down. Just off the top of my head was maybe my brother in Scorpion Bay, and we were we were just surfing second point, and the board flipped over. My dad had these super sharp fins on the bottom of his board. Um, they were like some brand new, like of those plastic FCS ones, and it flipped over. My brother's foot right on the bottom of his heel sliced it. Um, we didn't have we didn't have to do much except when we took him to the doctors nobody was there so we had to take him to the uh what was it? the chicken it was either the chicken or the dog doctor and she had to stitch him up on me and my dad had to hold my brother down on two plastic tables while she stitched my little brother up like 
12 stitches with no anesthesia. Ooh, that's Little cool. brother, no anesthesia to numb it. Yeah. With took me 12 and, stitches in his foot. With me and my dad just holding his arms and his chest and his legs wow. down. It was gnarly. And how old was he at the time? Let's see, I was probably, he was maybe like, six, I'm 16. Um, he was probably like 12, 11 or 12 at the time. Pretty gnarly. Yeah. Just off the top of my head, that's what I can think of. The world's a very dangerous place, and we pretend that we are safe moving through it. And it's amazing that more people don't encounter death more often. It's like, it's this, it's strange to me how... um, it's this. It's. I mean, it's a lot like uh, environmental issues. It's like out of sight, out of mind. If it hasn't happened to me yet, it's not going to happen. And I feel like that's one of the better parts of growing up. Like when you're a kid. I remember when I was a kid. I actually thought it couldn't happen to me. Mm-hmm. Like I remember a couple times being a kid, and like being in at uh, in high school, mm-hmm. and like getting into a car with another kid who was probably too drunk to drive. Yeah. Just being like, oh, yeah, no, it's cool. Like, I'll, I'll, it'll work out. Like, I would pull the, like, hey, like, no, you're cool, right? And then, like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. And, like, there were a couple times that now I look back and I'm just like, you fucking idiot. Yeah. Like, but the, it's so weird. Like, literally, your frontal neocortex isn't developed enough to have the, like, consequence part of your brain the be rational developed. thought process rational to thought process. the whole situation of consequence repercussion and you know is it worth it to follow through with this so you get some of those little crazy kids on the mega ramps doing oop-de-oops they're like yeah you will be fine and most of the time when you think you're gonna be fine you're fine that's like that's the problem with the, it yeah, but mental fortitude does go a long way in life it does yeah, yeah. All right, dude, you're 16 years old. Mm-hmm. What's that like, man? 16. Um, I feel like if I was in regular high school, actually, no, it's not too different now. I was about to compare the from a regular in high school from a four-year. Sure. Ninth to twelfth grade. Well, you're able to see so much more, man. Like, like we were having this totally. conversation the other day about the fact that, 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 like, I think a big issue with public schooling is that the whole learning process is based around test taking. Mm-hmm. Totally. Like, you got to cram a bunch of information and then regurgitate it, and you can forget it. The whole yeah. question, "Will this be on the test?" Yeah. It's such a silly question to even. So that's what the but, whole school revolves like around. The, the whole idea is that you're gaining knowledge so that you can move out into the world in a, a better way, you know, interact in, in the world in a better way. Mm-hmm. But we've kind of manipulated it in a way where you just try and kind of work the system and figure out how to become a good test taker yeah. and do what other people tell you to do, which is, doesn't mirror reality. Like, it doesn't totally. mirror... Like, entrepreneurs... Maybe through college it does, but once you get out, it's... Totally. But, like, entrepreneurs are people who have been able to, like, solve a puzzle on their own. In one way, they're like, all right, here's a problem that needs to be solved. Yeah. And I'm going to work through it, and no one's going to tell me what to do, and no one's going to say that, you know, knock on my door and say, you need to do this today. Mm -hmm. The world largely operates on deadlines and you better figure out how to prep and be ready for that day by the time it happens which Mm -hmm. is super cool like being a photographer for you like 
you got to get your photo work in, yeah. and there's going to be a certain amount of preparation work that you need to do yourself yeah. to make sure it gets in on time. Mm-hmm. As much as I, I don't, I mean, with school, I, I don't, in, I enjoy it, but um, I think with school, the main thing that I take away from go just the past years that I've been in it is learning from the deadlines and that teaches me time and how to plan out my schedule mostly because when I do have the test I'll think in my head all right I can study after school this day this day and this day Tuesday Wednesday Thursday and that I think just carries a carries over to now where I can say all right I have this photo shoot on Thursday and then I'll edit the photos Friday and then the people want them Friday night so it just teaches me time management and how to space out just my plans in general and those principles because um, obviously I mean you've got this incredible talent and passion for photography but you're still taking all of the same classes that are required in, in high school totally. so because I know I tried taking, doing online schooling in, in college when mm-hmm. I graduated high school. And uh, I think I signed up for, and I got a quarter of the way through probably three or four classes. Mm-hmm. And I eventually had to withdraw from every single one because I didn't have the, um, you know, exactly that, the response, the personal responsibility to hold myself accountable to say, I'm going to sit down for you know, these hours and study and have to have this in by that time. Yeah. You know, do you find that hard at all now? But, Uh or was it, you know, the kind of the same lessons that you learned in public schooling of, okay, I need to study these days because the test is then. Are you able to commit to that and make that happen? I think in the, the uh, program that I do now, it's more outlined because what I do now is the whole independent studying program where they do, you get a cover sheet for each class for every month and you have you start on the first day of every month and you have to turn in all your work for that cover sheet that you're given by the last Friday of every month so for me like when I went to Fiji for example I had one week before I was gonna I had one week in town and then at the beginning of the month and I was gonna be gone for that whole month and I saw that so what I did was I finished my whole month's work in that entire week i don't even think i left the house that whole week i just sat in my house turned off my phone and grinded out a whole month of work turned it in before i left and the whole rest of the month i was just cruising in fiji without having to worry about any schoolwork or anything so that's what i like about the whole independent studying program you can you can learn it at your own pace mm-hmm. in which you exactly want yeah to. as long as you get it done then but you're good. Did you do public school, Greg? Yeah, I did. Whole time? Yeah. High school musicals? Uh, that was junior high school, junior musical high. theater workshop. What, what, what role did you play again? It was the uh, lion in The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Little known fun fact for you guys. I got a hidden set of pipes on uh, me that can belt out yeah, a couple um, tunes. There's Greg Long in the next Piahi competition. He played the lion in the last Wizard of Oz <laughs> musical. <laughs> In junior high school, he's got quite a set of pipes on him, self-proclaimed. He, uh, he's quite a singer, quite a singer. Anyway, Ian Walsh taking off of the next wave, gentlemen. 
get you on the uh, WSL commentary team. Ah, uh, but th- that's also like f- for me, where I look at the public schooling system, where there's a big flaw is that uh, putting everybody, lumping everybody together, that you have to learn, you know, all of this, and at the same pace, it really stifles, you know, those kids who, you know, are. They want to hang out with older people, or they want to learn about different shit. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, you did a month's worth of work, and you know, you're able to learn it, and mm-hmm. you know, take the test, take the test, you know, out of it in in a week's time. You yeah. know, when you put your mind to something, you know, versus you know, how much time is actually you know wasted of you, you can know, go waiting. off your own schedule, not the teachers or the or the districts. Yeah, in the program. So do you, you went to college, or you did online college? I did, I did a few semesters at uh, junior college, um, uh, Saddleback, which is the one closest to my house in San Clemente, and uh, a few online courses. And as I said, majority of them I ended up dropping out of uh, a quarter or half of the way through because I just I couldn't keep up because I was I was traveling a lot at the time. That's when I turned professional, and um, I actually amazingly had uh, I was the CEO of Ocean Pacific a gentleman by the name of Dick Baker who I had a handshake agreement with you know he was Ocean Pacific was my first professional sponsorship at 18 years old a handshake agreement that you know as I was then being paid to be a professional surfer that I would continue my you know formal education in college oh, as that's well. cool yeah so the CEO of Ocean Pacific said said we'll I'm, pay you. I'm, I'm not yeah that this deal like you know here's the contract he's like but I'm not signing it until you shake my hand and say that you're gonna continue your education uh, in school as your you know, traveling and surfing, you know, somehow find a way of balancing it. Like, we don't know what that looks like. You know, we'll figure it out as we go, but you have to keep going to school. That's cool. Studying. Amazing. That's very you, cool. You wouldn't find, I mean, he was a bit of, you know, respected as um, a bit of a visionary within the surfing industry. He came from outside of it and was kind of rejected in a lot of ways in the beginning. Uh, you know, the surf industry was a very tight knit bubble and he came from, uh, the East coast and, um, working with a lot of, you know, the other big, uh, clothing, you know, giants at the time. And, but he brought a level of wisdom to the surfing industry where he sort of became the the godfather of sorts where, you know, how do you really run a, a giant business? People started looking to him for guidance and leadership, but, uh, so I ended up later having a conversation with him, you know, not to dissimilar to this of like okay you know what is education you know when I went and I realized that you know I want to dive into the you know my physical ability as a surfer deeper and the time that that was going to take but also you know what that asked of me which was you know a deeper study into um, you know meteorology to understand the weather patterns um, to start you know Spending more time with my equipment and so learning you about an, you got an A plus you know, in that class. Hy- hydrodynamics and you know um, then bathymetric bathymetric master over here and so it was just you know looking at him, you know what what is education I had that conversation yeah. you know does it have to come out of a textbook or you know here I am the opportunity to travel to you know all these different countries you know and immersing myself and seeing the way the rest of the world lives and exists you know that is as valuable and 
you know, there's many arguments for it being more valuable in a lot of uh, direct applications to personal development for sure. than you'll get in a classroom in, you know, Southern California. And um, he looked at me, he's like, you know, you've, you've got a point. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, he gave me, you know, the green light, you know, another handshake of, you know, yeah, uh, to sort of give me the license to creativity of then really dive into, you know, my personal pursuit of big wave surfing. You, um, it seemed like leaned in to that curiosity from an early age, though, of learning stuff that you didn't know. Like the whole, like, so it, like this is a nuanced conversation, right? Because you can travel the whole world and not see anything if you want to have your blinders on and stay in the hotels, right? Absolutely. And this is like, it's a problem with pro surfing because you can have kids who have been everywhere and can't speak a word of another language and know nothing about the history or the culture or the customs of anywhere that they've been. Or you can have a kid right next to them that is just soaking it all up like a sponge and becomes like the next Anthony Bourdain because he or her has just been asking a lot of questions, right? So it seemed like it was less even about the experiences that you had and more the mindset that you brought forth uh, like when you were traveling. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's applicable to everything that you do in life, you know, that you can look at as, oh, I have to, you know, go out and, you know, mow the lawn, you know, and just see it as this, uh, you know, unfortunate task that's going to take however much of my time, or you can, you know, look at it and be like, all right, well, you know, let's really appreciate, you know, where we are, what we're doing, and the fact that taking something that's, you know, overgrown needs to be tamed and making it, you know, beautiful again. You know, that's just, just one example of, you know, looking at the world with, you know, open eyes and ears and an open heart to really absorb what's happening around you and what you can learn and... Uh, See the universe in a blade of grass. Exactly. No, and, uh, no, no uh, lawnmower pun intended. <laughs> You're so clever, Kyle. <laughs> but... um. Yeah, it's, you know, as far as leaning in, then uh, another big, I feel like, was one of the tipping points was uh, reaching out to those individuals who I looked up to um, and, you know, and saw as, as role models. Um, I had... Uh, his name was John Walla. He was the one who really introduced me to, you know, surfing big waves at Toto Santos down in Baja. I was 15 years old and, you know, knew him from surfing around town. Just kept asking him, you know, incessantly. I, you know, I'd seen photos and heard that he was kind of the underground, you know, guy out there. You know, can you take me down there? And, you know, eventually he did, you know, along with my dad, my brother. and um, Sa- He was San Clemente guy? San Clemente guy, yeah. Um, but... As far as leaning in, you know, I wasn't shy of, you know, looking, you know, when I saw, you know, my heroes of, you know, asking those questions of like, hey, you know, tell me, tell me a little bit about, you know, what this place is like or what do I need to know? And, you know, first time I went up to, you know, surfing Mavericks, you know, I had been talking to Grant Washburn, who's probably spent more time in that lineup uh, than just about anybody at this point in time. And I want to get him on the podcast. Yeah, he's, he would be an amazing person to speak to. Um, and gosh, the guidance and wisdom that they shared with me shaped me in you know ways you know I wouldn't be where I am today had it not been for 
not asking those asking those questions asking, early asking on. Asking those questions and finding those people that you know I you know truly admired and. Um, so uh, ju- so John Wallace so he took you down to Totos for your first time. Yeah. And that was your first uh, like, initiation into big waves. Into like surfing. a proper, you know, I, I'd been to the North Shore and I'd surfed Sunset, um, but that was my first like, you know, real big wave sort of uh, expedition of sorts. Did he just like throw you in the back of his car? And no, so that, that, that one, the first time, uh, my dad actually went with me. Okay. Um, he showed us how to go, you know, and get out there. But later... Did you take a boat out there? Yeah. Okay. Um, later, uh, I mean, once, once, a, my, once a, my father kind of, you know, saw the whole program and uh, he would let me go with John um, and all of his college buddies on my own. So, you know, so I was this 16-year-old kid, just got my license, driving my you know, 71 Volkswagen bus down to Point Loma where they were all going to college and getting in the truck with them, you know, going across the border with, you know, a little permission slip that my dad had basically <laughs> signed over that, you know, the, you know, John and whoever else are my caretakers and can go take this kid can, out. Yeah. The, can go out 30 there. Foot waves. Um, yeah. That was, um, <laughs> oh I mean, my God. Probably, I mean, you look back at, you know, for me, look back at, you know, all the amazing experiences that I had, like those were unquestionably some of the most, um, memorable, but then also transformational, uh, you know, that whole, like, oh, I'm sitting in the car with, you know, these adults and, you know, listening to their, you know, conversations about, you know, life and college and, um, and just, you know, the fun and the, the experience of it. Uh, but then also, you know, when, you know, we'd be out there surfing, him sharing, you know, what he knew about that particular place with me and, you know, like what's, still, an, like what's an example of Totos? Uh, just lineups of, yeah. of where to sit, you know, in this particular swell direction. The waves are going to be focusing here. And, you know, this rock, you know, obviously avoided or this boil is going to come up. You know, be ready for it. Um, you know, and then, you know, there's, there's many people. Like I said Mike Parsons was, was another one who, uh, you know, I remember just, you know, idolized, you know, him being from Southern California and, you know, the famous big wave surfer and, the first time I ever met him, I think I was just, you know, probably asking him a, a thousand questions of, you know, how, what, where, when, why. And uh, and he was so open to to sharing that information back to, you know, kind of earlier of that is something, you know, you said, you know, one of the greatest pieces of advice. And that was nobody had ever really told me, but, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions and that somebody who's truly grounded uh is going to be so open to sharing what they know and and helping you along yeah and And uh, the ones who aren't are weirdos right the ones who like want to keep it all themselves i'm not going to give it to you i'm not going to share it to you so so incredibly bizarre Mm -hmm. i mean if you look at it on an energetic level it's energy moving through you, right? There's knowledge moving into you and it's moving out of you. And if you try and hoard that all for yourself, then you're going to become bloated, right? Yeah. Because it's this kind of scarcity mindset, like there's not enough to go around. But if you're able to just give it away and give it away and give it away, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you get that energy back. Back in other ways, yeah. Right? All the way going down to young Ari here. So who else? Of life. What other? I saw photos. Um, you were hiking in Hawaii Mossy. with Ryan Moss a couple months ago. Whoa! Yeah, 
That was fun. I honestly had no idea what I was getting myself into. So Ryan Moss is a very accomplished uh, surf filmer and photographer. Yes. Also a climber. Gnarly he does the climber. craziest hikes and climbs. So gnarly. The, what, the, the, coal out, the coal out mountain ranges, which I think is the those uh, the ridge lines in Oahu, if I'm correct. Um, but yeah, I went over, when was that? So like four months. Three or four months ago, um, I met Ryan when I was in Chopu about a year ago. You've already been to Chopu, dude? Who are you? <laughs> um, Shut up. Yeah, dude. my first trip to Chopu was with Jojo. Jojo, Jojo Roper. Roper. Yeah. Jojo Roper is oh, a yeah. uh, great big wave surfer from Southern California. Yo, yo. The hilarious personality. Yeah. Um, okay, so you went So you went to... You're telling the story about Ryan. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I first had met him over there in at Chopu swimming um, with him. Zach Noyle introduced me to him. and uh, Who's another great photographer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably one of the better water photographers in the world. Super gnarly swimmer as well. Okay. Um, but, yeah, Zach introduced me and him in the lineup, and Ryan and I had kept in, ch- kept in touch over just that whole year. And then I had started to see more of his hiking photos just via social media and Instagram and all these videos that I had seen of him climbing. And I, um, I think it was towards the end of my school year of summer and I hadn't really done much in the past couple of weeks and I kind of just wanted to get out of town and go do something different other than just hanging around home, just hanging out on red tube. <laughs> Nah. <laughs> nah, 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 nah. It's not me, bro. It's nah. not me. Um, Don't lie, Ari. It's okay. <laughs> this is an honest podcast. Yeah, we bring honest. We bring the truth out. Okay, then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. All right, all right. But back to it. Um, but yeah, then I, I hit up Ryan, um, and he offered for me to come over for a week and come and do some hiking with him. And... Um, We'd done like I think it was like three hikes, but first day I remember it was like it was kind of like a test to see. We just did like a run around probably it was probably like a hour and a half kind of hike slash run over just a little ridge above uh, Keiki's, and then um, second we did probably was I think if I, if I remember right it was like an eight hour hike, um, just on one of the ridge lines over in. Oahu on the coal house. Wow. But um, I remember at the time it was probably the hottest, like most uh, physically demanding thing that I had done yet. Um, yeah. But you pulled it. Yeah. Yeah. So Ryan, co- Ryan, okay. Ryan stuck with me the whole time. Um, Hiking's great, man. So yeah. What's funny about that? I don't know if I called you. I called. I called you. You you, you missed the call, and then you called me twenty the, minutes later. And then this I called. The I called hike, the next day. The next day I we called. Did, yeah, okay. we did like an overnight. Me, Ryan, and Mark Healy. Mark Healy shows up. Wait, I'm just, I'm so, getting, some I'm, somehow or another, we're randomly like I called him back. Um, about you know he'd called me the day before i called him back and he picks up his phone and um all he does is like you know smile you know big uh facetime <laughs> and then you know he turns around and he flips it to ryan moss and i was like ah oh, mossy epic and then he shows mark healy 
and then he's, you know, where he is, and they're at some cabin, you know, way up in the mountains, above the clouds, and the most, you know, majestic sunset you've, Whoa, you know, surreal sunset, sunset you've ever seen. seen. And, um, yeah. So they all was, went. Well, yeah. He, yeah. And, Healy okay. just hiked up to to meet you guys, right? No, no, we all hiked up together. Oh, okay. Yeah, we we picked him up from that from his house that day, and then it was a we went on an overnight thing up into the up on top of one of the ridges where they had a cabin for any hikers that wanted to stay up there. Wow. We brought our own. You had to bring your own food. They had a water pump up there just from the rainwater that it collected. And, um, but yeah, you had to bring your own food. We all slept in hammocks, um, that we just pitched up in the cabin, but it, it was probably one of the best experiences I've had in Hawaii. Probably for sure. I bet, man. I was hiking there. Would you say that was craziest adventure, or have you been on... Oh, totally. Um, oh. Yeah. What's the craziest adventure that you've been on in this, your 16 years on planet Earth here? Craziest adventure. Maybe going to the Tuamotus of Tahiti and surfing out there with my dad and my brother. Yeah. Charm- so your dad was uh, really a... At the in a lot of parts of the world, kind of at the forefront of surf exploration, he spent a lot of time down in Papua New Guinea. Was it you mm-hmm. were saying? Yeah, he's he's done, I think, two one or two trips over there. Um, this was in like the eighties. Most of most of the exploration, like far out there, he had done before. He had me, my brother, and my little sister. Um, but yeah, he's been he's explored all those outer islands of Tahiti. Uh, Papua New Guinea, pretty much all over Indo. Um, so you basically didn't have any choice growing up. No, there's like throwing, I had to thro- travel. throwing you in the van First world or traveling. Problems, yeah, yeah. <laughs> champagne problems, yeah. my friend. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, you know what? When you start traveling at a young age, you realize that it's possible to do it for your whole life, mm-hmm. right? You you kind of gain this different tempo of living, right? Like here we are, three highly privileged human beings traveling from place to place getting to do what we love um but it's doable like it's it's more doable than people think like taking that trip that you've always wanted to take that like it just takes a little bit of planning and sometimes it just takes getting a credit card and getting a bunch of miles so that you can get that plane ticket over there Mm -hmm. but it amazes me how many people stop themselves with a false belief that it's too difficult or too expensive to travel they're yeah, just too stuck in their comfortable existence and what they know mm-hmm. to be safe and uh, you know, a routine. And th- there's a million excuses. You can find one every you know 15 minutes you know, to not break out of that. It's just, as you said, a matter of you know, committing. I'm doing it and holding yourself uh, accountable to that. Yeah. And going to new spots too, man. That's what yeah. I'm excited about these days. Like there is, there, there is that tour of great places that right. I've found. Like, we're back here in Porto for, you know, this is my... Oh, yeah. You know, as lucky as I am, I think the fourth time, you know, this season, even though we're in November. Yeah. But, you know, one of the magical places you can't deny, you know, yeah. when, you, when you're here, but uh, I'm with you. Every single year, I try and commit to going to at least two new locations that I've never been to before. Um you know, even if, you know, there aren't any waves, yeah. uh, you know, especially if there aren't any waves, because that's been the focus of obviously majority of my travels in life to, you know, go to those inland places that you, know, you haven't, uh, 
Haven't, so where have you been that's inland? Uh, or that any ones that you could divulge? You know, we don't need to shout <laughs> no, it, shout so, out so from a mountain. B- b- believe it or not, there's no waves know, inland. I mean, it was only last year. Yeah, gosh, yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. he can yeah. shout one, out. One I've been, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I've been back to a couple times. As close as it is to home, I had never been into Joshua Tree until last year. Whoa. Yeah, and that's one now where it's like, you know, I've got an extra you know, day and a half in you know, my you know, busy life schedule. Like, I want to go out there and hang out you know, in this majestic desert, you know, a whole different you know, setting. Than I've never been there. What's that spot like? <laughs> good climbing I'm, there. I want, I want to, there's good climbing there, right? Yeah, you, you're into climbing now, aren't you? Yeah, I dabble. You dabble. You dabble in a lot I'm of no things. I'm no hero. You, you say that, but you're very proficient at many things. I'm, well, you know, my... Um, Jack of all trades, master of none. I don't believe that. I think that's a, that's a silly saying. I yeah. think that you can become a jack of all trades and master many of them. I think you probably can't become the best at a lot of them, mm-hmm. but I think that you can get into that upper, like highly proficient echelon yeah. fairly quickly if you... Uh, approach the activity with uh, w- with preparation and thought. And, mm-hmm. f- you know, like, for example, um, I think it's... This is, like, a very Tim Ferriss thing to say, but it's, like, it's very... It's, like, 300 words or 500 words in the Spanish language, and you can become conversationally fluent. Uh, y- you know, it's all, all these... It's just figuring out what it is that you need to learn to... Be, get okay at it and I'm still I would say like barely proficient at climbing mm-hmm. but I did take a trip out to Yosemite this summer with um, my brother and his girlfriend we went out to this spot called the Lost Arrow Spire so it's a spire off of uh, off of a wall that we had a friend named Mike and his climbing partner climb up it's a two day hike and then you get out onto this like maybe like 8 by 10 rock right and what they did is they threw a rope over to us. We climbed, we hiked up, and then we, we strapped in and we belayed over to this spire and stood up on the top of this 8 by 10 like rock platform, half dome in the distance, like a couple thousand, probably like 2,000 feet below us, which is amazing because standing up, standing up with 2,000 feet below you on all sides of you becomes a very difficult task, even when you're strapped in, like... If you, yeah. Senor shaky legs. You're well, you're well out of your Dude, comfort zone. Senor shaky legs. Yeah. But uh, my brother actually proposed to his girlfriend up on the spire. And you were there. I was there. So he so he went over and his girlfriend went over and we were all there and uh, and he told our friend he's like take photos of, of what's about to happen. And he went did over. You, did did you get out of the way so they oh, yeah, a picture all, of the two of them together? Yeah. So they were the only two on the top of the spire okay. and he got down one knee and he proposed to her. He made every other suitor look like an idiot. Anyway, I just uh, diverted from the Joshua Tree story. I've never been there, so tell me about what that is like. Stunning. Stunning. Just red rock, boulder landscape. Stars. Uh, yeah, gosh. That's where I actually went out there for the first time to watch uh, the Persid Meteor Shower. And one of the most memorable like 48-hour experiences of my life of just, you know, First night I was in one of the, um, you know, designated camping areas and it was actually pretty busy because of the meteor shower. And the second night I decided that, you know, too many people, I came out here to sort of, you know, for my own personal solitude and, you know, ventured off down, you know, one of the dirt roads. And there was actually other people who had parked and hiked out under the boulders and were camping there, you know, just laying out underneath the stars and, um, 
the contrast, uh, you know, from the ocean to a setting like that, but seeing, you know, the beauty and the majesty of a place and how life can, you know, in its own way can still be thriving in such a dry and arid environment. It was like, um, just so perplexing and beautiful. Um, again, I'd spent my whole life, you know, in and around the ocean, you know, that is my, my home, but to be out there and, you know, looking at, and then again, everybody, you know, climbing and recreating and using this in completely different environment for their own, you know, you know, sort of just fun man fun fun yeah. just being amongst it exactly oh. america has some of the most beautiful places out there man like yeah. we talk about traveling far and wide into the ends of the end of the globe but it is a big miss if you don't check out some of the national parks that we have yeah very lucky very lucky that trip to yosemite man like st- walked out on a meadow had a cup of coffee with my brother and his girlfriend, a couple friends. There were these two trees. We set up a hammock between the two of them and we looked out and saw El Capitan and the scale of that wall is, uh, awe inspiring. And we were going to flood Yosemite. You know that? What is that? We were going to flood at a certain point. We, uh, the state of California was going to flood Yosemite uh, and make a dam in it. Really? Yep. And that's why uh, John Muir is so famous. Okay. So John Muir was the guy who, um, he, he has this famous quote. Um, said, uh, Don't said, ruin it. He said, uh, one may as well flood the, the great, it's like, I'm going to butcher it, but it's like one may... Uh, as well flood the great cathedrals of our land because uh, God has never constructed something so beautiful as Yosemite. It was like something along those lines, which like people got it. Like this, this isn't around everywhere. Have you been to Yosemite, Ari? Oh yeah. My dad used to take, we haven't been there in a while as a family, but um, we used to go every year. Your Your dad is so cool. Thank you. Yeah, God, dude, I don't have this kind of podcast. I, I don't know. I don't know if you. Yeah, it, it, just how often you tell him thank you for like. Oh yeah, exposing you to as much as he has. I try but, every damn, day. Damn, aren't we lucky to have had like the parents and the upbringing and the support to from expose them? you to, you know, such incredible places and. Yeah, it's only the beginning. Greg just got a Sprinter van. Hoorah! When we get home, we're going Yosemite Joshua Tree. Hoorah. That was a big decision, man. Um, yeah, it was. Um, so I was saving up to buy a place, a home in Southern California, San Clemente preferably, where I, where I grew up. And I've been thinking a lot lately. I'm 34 years old, supposed to be settling down and, you know... Uh, and so let's just quickly look at that phrase, settle down. Right. Break it down into two words. You're settling and you're going down. <laughs> <laughs> you shared that with me with uh, the other evening. I wrote it down. It's a good one. Uh, it is. And I, I couldn't do it. Like I started to think about, 
know, just the commitment, the responsibility, and it's like this this anchor point. And especially now in Southern California, how expensive it is to live. And you know, started to weigh out, you know, what it is that I actually value and want out of my life. And it doesn't need to be, you know, four walls. It's absolutely not going to be four walls and stationary and um, a big uh, screen TV and no and stuff, all that stuff. Then this constant worry of, you know, paying for something for 30 years or however long it's going to take. And, um, you know, I, I lived in my van for... Uh, almost three years in my mid twenties, at a point where I was uh, in between, you know, sponsorships um, in the professional surfing world, and really needed to sort of consolidate uh, my life and, and world and be, you know, very financially responsible. And I moved into my van because I was gone for six months of the year, you know, during the summer months, traveling to the southern hemisphere where it was winter and I could find the big waves. And when I would come back home. I was always on the road driving, chasing swells from Northern California down to Baja or over to Hawaii. And it's like, you know, what do you actually need, you know, to be happy? And for me, it was, you know, a car that runs well with enough space to carry my boards and, you know, have food. And, you know, I prefer sleeping outdoors and camping and, um, so you go up to Mav Swells in your van, strap the big wave boards on top, everything that I needed within that small space. And, in that time, I actually had to get rid of a lot of my my possessions. You know, I had a tiny little storage shed at my aunt's house. Bless her heart for letting me, you know, keep stuff there. And the rest of it was in my car. When I broke it down to what you actually need. Um, it's not much. It is not much at all. And so, yeah, uh, just upgraded to you know the new sprinter van and seeing how you know nice you can build these things out it'll into, it'll help with your posture yeah right it's that a little was, taller yeah, my, you don't need to my, curl my over my chair and my ford van was really starting to sag and yeah uh, take its toll on my back but where would you poop Do you really want to know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just like a a hole in the story. Really, that, that's that's also the beauty of um, of that life for me. You know, then you know the morning ritual happens more often than not um, at a <laughs> ritual at a, at, a, at a yoga studio in the gym. Go to yeah. um, uh, you know community swimming pool where they have all the facilities. So then you know it's like a yeah you got to go there ki- and it's kill, killing a couple birds with one one stone yeah oh, that's a good idea yeah, yeah. It, it like gets you into the gym out of necessity mm-hmm. you're like i gotta take a shit all right i may, <laughs> may as well work out right now <laughs> do a couple squats yeah. before to get this warmed up yeah i had this guy he's a marine and photojournalist named don mira on the podcast it's one of my favorite podcasts i've ever done uh and he lived in a van for a number of years and he told me a story about uh how he he would just keep it immaculate in there like that was his space and it was such a small space and it was so easy to get messy that he was just like on it you have to be you have to be and he said he remembers um one time parking the van outside of a bar this is when he was younger and single and, and he got this beautiful wo- woman um to come out and and he was like hey yeah you want to you want to check out my van like this is my house and he opened the door and, and she looked in and she said wow you're so neat and he's like, thank you so much. 
I really try. And he said that he like had it completely spaced out. He's like, you know, like if a woman stayed over, like I made sure to have a little thing of Tampax for her. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was completely set up. Uh, van, van life level expert. Expert, yeah. He was, a black, he was a black belt at van life. It makes a lot of sense though, man. Questioning those premises, figuring out what it is that you enjoy, what it is that you value, and how you can best facilitate that kind of life for yourself. And Absolutely. a lot of that does not involve getting a bunch of stuff and a bunch of debt. A hundred percent. And when I, that was it. You know, I started to think about what you know, what I want to be doing in the next you know year or the next five years or ten years. And settling into one place, that wasn't it. You know, so, I mean, this this was, again, th- those were some of the funnest, uh, the most, most fun years of my life. You know, the freedom and also uh, this, I guess, responsibility to utilize that freedom to go... An adventure and and see, you know, new places and do new things, um, and that's something I don't, you know, ever want to give up in in, in my life. And you know, that I don't want to say burden because it's not always, you know, for everybody's got their own sort of take on you know what they want to be doing. But for me, it it felt like it was going to be a burden, you know, of okay, uh, taking out a big mortgage to you know a house and. You know, Southern California, you know, which was, you know, ideally going to be the location, you know, where I, I would live. And it just wasn't the time, you know, for it. So went the other way. And the great thing is? We're going to Yosemite and Joshua Tree and chasing waves this winter. It's only the beginning. It is. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to come on. Thank you, Kyle. Love Ari, you, Kyle. Ari, where, where can people find you? What's your Instagram? Instagram... It's the at Ari Frappwell. That's A-R-E-F-R-A-P-W-E-L-L. The man takes great photos and swims in Big Puerto Escondido. And Greg Long at Gerg Long. Gerg Long. G-E-R-G Long. I don't know why you did that, but you did it. Not Greg Long. It's Gerg Long. Check him out. He takes photos of himself doing sun salutations and going to Joshua Tree. That's our show, ladies and gentlemen. If you liked it, share it with a friend. That's how we get this nonsensical information out into the world. If you want to hear me ranting on a highly caffeinated interview that I did with Amy Baldwin on her podcast recently, head over to the Shameless Sex podcast. And uh, it was a fun conversation. That girl don't give a fuck. Um, and she's she's been on my podcast twice, and she has um, a super cool one that is growing quickly. I'm going to play you out with a song by Ondo Vega, and I will link to their band page in the show notes on my website, kyle.surf. Finally... Uh, If you want to sign up for my monthly email, I do an email once a month where I give you the best documentaries that I've been watching, the best articles I've been reading, the best books that I've been reading. No spam ever, just once a month. A lot of you have been asking for this kind of stuff. So head over to kyle.surf and sign up. See you guys soon. Have a great day.
a tus amigos con el corazón Cántale a tus amigos con el corazón 